Welcome to the Amazing Apps Show for Microsoft business applications builders who want to make amazing applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. I've been building agile business applications since 2008 and a Microsoft business applications most valuable professional since 2010. My goal on this show is to help you slash your project budgets, reduce your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and create amazing agile Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. This is a follow-up to episode two of the Amazing Apps Show. We're going to be going deeper into estimating business apps. So if you're a project manager, business analyst, solution architect, a developer, or maybe a pre-sales consultant or in business development involved in launching business applications projects by persuading stakeholders to approve your application, then I hope this is a great episode for you. In episode two, we covered why we need to estimate business apps, we discussed accuracy versus precision, and we evaluated using t-shirt sizes, ideal time, and story points as estimating units. In this episode, we're going to cover the what, when, and how to estimate, and then we're going to put it all together so that you can answer both of your stakeholders' favorite questions. How long is it going to take, and how much is it going to cost? You can find show notes for this episode at customary.com slash 004. While you're there, you can sign up for Agile Foundations for Microsoft Business Apps, which is my free mini-course to help you get started using an Agile approach to building amazing apps. Just before we get going, I'd like to give a shout-out to three more Customary Academy students who completed my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course and achieved their Scrum.org Professional Scrum Master Level 1 certification. Samuel Smith, Dynamics 365 Functional Consultant at CloudSource in London. Neha Dar, an Account Executive at ThinkMax Consulting in Toronto in Canada. And Anders First, a CTO at Clubtomizer in Aalborg in Denmark. Well done to all of you. I appreciate you for completing the course, getting your certification, and changing how we build business apps. Let's get on with the show. First, let's dive into what to estimate, when to estimate, and how to estimate. When I refer to product backlog items, or PBIs for short, that's what we call our requirements in a Scrum project. It's all the work that we need to do to our business application so that it has the highest possible value for our stakeholders. In the past, we used to write product backlog items on 5 by 3 index cards. That card metaphor got carried over to backlog management applications like Azure DevOps, which represent those cards on our screens. Most of our PBIs are user stories, which capture the essence of what a stakeholder needs our application to do and why they would find that valuable. High-level requirements are known as epic user stories. They're just user stories that are too big and complex to get done in a single sprint. Later, we'll split the epics down into smaller, implementable user stories. Product backlog items, PBIs, cards, stories, epics, those are all similar ways we talk about our requirements in an Agile Business Apps project. But what they are not is specifications. If you are trying to capture and write detailed requirements at the start of a project before you start development, that's the hallmark of a fixed mindset, a throwback to the waterfall days where each phase was completed before moving on. That kind of upfront analysis, even if you're using user stories, means that you're capturing requirements at the point of peak 
ignorance when everyone knows the least. In agile projects, I encourage my teams to delay discovering the details about a requirement until the last possible moment. Usually this is a few weeks, a sprint or two, before we intend to start developing the feature. Using just-in-time analysis means we get to benefit from our understanding of everything we've already built for our users. Our knowledge of their requirements is so much greater than it was at the start of the project. The user's knowledge of what the application can do already and needs to do is also many times greater than it was at the start of the project. However, we usually don't get a green light to start the project until we can show someone how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take to get done. That someone is called Moneybags, or the financial sponsor if you want to get really fancy. To satisfy the financial sponsor's curiosity, I'll give them a quick estimate of how long it'll take and how much it'll cost based on a set of high-level requirements. Visualizing those requirements in a user story map is the best method I've found for reviewing the scope, timeline, resources, and costs with the application's sponsors and getting their approval. We'll dive deeper into story mapping in another podcast episode and come back to that later. In my product backlog, we'll have epics and user stories, and those PBIs will have estimates in story points, but we also have three other types of product backlog items. Chores, which are work the development team needs to do that's really got no appreciable value for our users, such as refactoring our plugins. Spikes is research work we need to do to improve our knowledge, such as evaluating technical options and recommending the best design pattern for a set of requirements. And bugs, defects discovered in our production or non-production environments that need to get resolved. I don't recommend estimating chores, spikes, or bugs. Sometimes it can be useful to forecast how much work it'll take to get our chores done, spikes completed, and bugs squashed. And many teams do estimate this work, but the downside is that sometimes we include this work in our measure of how much valuable work we got done in a sprint, which is called our velocity. I like to think of our velocity as a measure of the valuable features we're creating for our users. If we include a five-point user story in our velocity, and then include a two-point bug that we found in that user story, we didn't create seven points of value. In fact, the bug is a sign that there was an issue with the quality, and that the five-point story wasn't actually done properly. So I only include the story points from done user stories in my measure of velocity. I don't estimate chores, spikes, and bugs, and I definitely don't include working on chores, spikes, and bugs in my velocity calculations. So when do we estimate? The need to estimate new requirements comes up all the time, especially on agile business applications projects where the stakeholders know that we have an open, transparent, and flexible product backlog. Like many tasks in life, estimating backlog items is much more efficient when we batch them together and estimate a lot of them in a concentrated session where we focus purely on estimating work with no other distractions. I concentrate my estimation activity into a workshop at the start of the project and a workshop each sprint. And when I say workshop, that might mean one or more sessions, depending upon how much unestimated work we need to estimate, but usually it's just one. Before the project starts, when our stakeholders want to know how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take, then my teams estimate the epic user stories in our user story map, which is a two-dimensional visualization of our product backlog. Once the project has started and we're underway, 
then we will refine one or two epics into smaller user stories and we're adding new stories into the backlog. Then my teams estimate those user stories during story time workshops. Story time workshops aren't an event in the Scrum framework, but Scrum says we should set aside some time each sprint to refine our product backlog. And I find it useful in my Dynamics 365 and Power Apps projects to schedule backlog refinement as an event in our calendars. We call it story time. During story time workshops, the product owner shares any new user stories with the development team. She helps them gain a shared understanding so that they have sufficient knowledge of the story to be able to compare its complexity to other user stories so that we can estimate it. Importantly, the development team doesn't need all the details of the user story before they estimate it. They don't need to have an agreed technical design specification, although they often have a probable design in mind when they estimate the user story. They just need to know enough to compare the probable effort to design, develop, test and deploy this feature into production. Estimating without every single detail requires that we make some assumptions, and it can be useful to make a note of any important assumptions that affected our estimate. Sometimes we'll estimate higher than actual, sometimes lower, but it usually works out in the end. My teams very rarely re-estimate a story once it's been estimated. There have been a handful of times when there's been a bigger gap than usual between when we estimated the story and when we actually started working on it, and during that time we've got some new knowledge that completely invalidates our earlier assumption on which the estimate was based. So on those occasions, we will go ahead and quickly re-estimate it. Just before we dive into the mechanics of how we estimate, let's quickly recap our estimation units. I like to use story points as my estimation units. They're an arbitrary unit that we use to compare the relative complexity of any two stories. When we estimate user stories, we use the smaller numbers in a modified Fibonacci sequence, usually 1, 2, 3, 5, and 8. And when we estimate epics, we use the bigger numbers in our modified Fibonacci sequence. I like to use 13, 20, 40, 60, and 100. But the scale used by different teams will vary. What I often find is that when we split epic user stories into smaller user stories, is that the sum of the estimates of the smaller user stories never quite adds up to the estimate of the original epic. Let's say we split a 20-point epic into five user stories. Those might have estimates of two, three, five, another five, and an eight-point user story. The total is 23 points split out of a 20-point epic. That sort of result isn't uncommon. If you need to strictly manage your backlog to the original estimate, then you'll need to defer some of the user stories split from the epic until later. In our example, we try to defer user stories worth three points or more to later in our backlog so that we can keep within the original 20 points estimated for this epic. Now we have agreed our estimation units and scale, the next thing we need before we start estimating our backlog is a baseline story or a baseline epic. A baseline story is a story that we'll use to compare every other story against. I like to pick a relatively small, but not the smallest, user story that feels well understood by the development team. Usually, it's a common requirement that we've seen on several projects before. Everyone understands the title, the description, the acceptance criteria. It's the type of story most of the team has experienced getting done and deployed into production without too much drama. It's quite often a two or a three point story in our story point scale. 
That's our baseline. We compare every unestimated user story to our baseline using our relative estimation method. We can do the same for epics. Find an epic that feels well understood, and we call that a 20 or perhaps a 40-point epic. And now we can compare all the other epics to our baseline. Over time, we might even have a collection of baseline stories that reminds the team what a 1.235 or 8 story point user story looked like in terms of the effort that was required to design, develop, and deploy it. Okay, we've got our unestimated backlog. We've agreed our units and scale and selected a baseline user story or epic. Let's estimate. We want estimates that are reasonably accurate, and we want the estimation process to yield results quickly. Spending hours estimating work that will take a day or two to get done isn't a good use of your time. We also don't want the estimates to be influenced before everyone has had a chance to understand the requirement. We don't want the product owner or an experienced development team member telling us what she thinks or he thinks the estimate should be or needs to be. That's known as anchoring. Instead, we want everyone's unique perspective and expertise to influence our estimate. Relative estimation, using a game called Planning Poker, helps us to achieve these objectives. Here's how it works. The product owner discusses an unestimated user story for a moment or two and answers the development team's questions about it as best she can. Each development team member compares the unestimated user story to our baseline user story privately, chooses the story point estimate from our agreed scale. So if our baseline was a two-point story, and you think the unestimated story was at least twice as complex, you'd maybe choose a 5. If it was half as complex, you'd choose a 1. Once everyone has estimated the story, we all reveal our estimates at the same time. This way, we avoid anchoring anyone else's estimates. If everyone's estimate is the same, then we have a consensus. That's our estimate. If not, then we discuss the story some more, and everyone estimates again. During the discussion, we often ask the developers with the highest and lowest estimates to describe how they arrived at their estimates. The game is often facilitated by the Scrum Master, who keeps the game flowing, ensures that everyone's perspectives are being included, and helps the team reach consensus quickly. The only people estimating are the development team members, who are going to be responsible for getting the work done. There are lots of planning poker applications if you're working as a distributed team and want to use an app to help facilitate the meeting. If you're co-located, then your team might want to buy planning poker cards. But honestly, I find it just as easy to type the estimate into the calculator app on my mobile phone and then reveal it once everyone else is ready. At the start of a project, once you've estimated your initial product backlog by visualizing it in a user story map and estimating all the epic user stories with planning poker, you'll arrive at a total estimate of all the work required to meet your requirements. You might even have sliced this total estimate into releases so that you can deliver value as early as possible to your users. But your application stakeholders, especially Moneybags, still wants to know how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost. Telling your financial sponsor that the backlog is 600 story points isn't going to induce her to whip out her credit card. We need to convert that total backlog estimate, or each of the release slices, into time and money. Remember, we estimate size and derive duration. We derive the duration by taking our total estimated size and dividing it by our estimated velocity. Our velocity is how much value we create within a given time frame. 
We usually measure it as the number of story points done each sprint, where a sprint is a one-week or two-week time box. If the project hasn't started yet, I usually opt for two-week sprints at this stage, but the Scrum team can change their cadence later, just before the project starts. Let's say our backlog is 600 points. If we estimate our velocity is 60 points per two-week sprint, then it'll take 10 two-week sprints to get all of our work done. That's about five months. How do we estimate that initial velocity? I recommend going back to the baseline user story. Ask the development team to estimate how many user stories of that size they could get done in two weeks. If we had a two-point baseline and the team estimated they could complete 30 stories that size in two weeks, then our estimated velocity is 60 points. Life is a little unpredictable and estimates are just estimates. They're not forecasts, predictions or commitments. To help my stakeholders understand this, I usually provide two estimated velocities, high and low. We'll see actual velocities close to the higher estimated velocity in sprints where luck was on our side. And we'll see actual velocities closer to the low estimated velocity if we're blocked by impediments or we spend a lot of time on spikes, chores and bugs. Over time, we expect our velocity to increase as the team improves its working practices. If 60 points per sprint is our high velocity and 40 points per sprint is our low velocity estimate, then our 600 point backlog will take between 10 and 15 sprints to get done. That's somewhere between 20 and 30 weeks or five to seven months. With me so far? To answer Moneybags' other question, how much is it gonna cost? We take our derived duration and multiply it by our run rate. Our run rate is the fully loaded cost of the expected scrum team. The cost of the team members' salaries or fees, plus whatever overhead you need to include, such as equipment, space, travel, accommodation, and so on. If our fully loaded run rate is $20,000 per week, that's $40,000 for a two-week sprint. Our 600-point product backlog is going to take 10 to 15 sprints, which is $400,000 to $600,000. If you listened to part one of this estimation series in Amazing Apps episode two, you might remember my financial services client in Sydney. They audit self-managed superannuation funds and want to build an app to make the auditing process more efficient, and they're going to sell that app to other auditors as well. Their board of directors wanted to know how long is it going to take and how much is it going to cost. The product owner and I built a user story map that revealed 38 epic user stories. 12 epics to build a minimum viable product that they could show to their prospective users to get some feedback. And another 16 epics were going to be needed for the first production release. And 10 epics for a follow-up release. Working with the developers, we estimated the total effort to be 314 points in that MVP and 550 points in the first production release. We didn't actually feel like we had enough knowledge of the epics in the second production release to be able to estimate them. We felt it would be better to tell the board this rather than, rather than guess some numbers. The development team estimated their velocity to be 50 points per sprint. That was based on another app they had already built and integrated with Dynamics 365 for this company. We used that as the high velocity and we used 40 points per sprint as the low velocity that we'd use with the board. The MVP was 12 epics estimated at 314 points at 40 points per sprint. This is a one-week sprint. That's eight weeks. 
and with a weekly run rate of $10,200, the estimated cost of the MVP is $81,600. The first production release was another 16 epics, estimated at 550 points. At 40 points per one-week sprint, that's 14 weeks, and with our run rate of $10,200 per week, the first production release would cost $142,800. You have to add those together, so the total cost to get to the first production release, where they could start to charge a subscription fee to their users, is going to be about $224,400, which is the cost of the MVP plus the first production release. It'll take about 22 weeks. So if we start in August, there's a good chance we can release the MVP in early October and go to production after the summer holidays in January. Game on! The board has improved the investment and they're off. So that's how I estimate how long it'll take and how much it will cost for my Microsoft Business Applications projects. The story mapping workshops and running the numbers usually takes a day or two for a mid-sized project. It could take a week or two if you expect to spend years building an enterprise-scale application and you need more rigor and polished deliverables to support a business case or perhaps a proposal. But in any case, it's much quicker than the protracted analysis and design phases of the old Microsoft Dynamics SureStep methodology. The result, I'd argue, is more accurate, more receptive to change, and more compelling. I hope you agree. You can get show notes for this episode at customary.com slash 004. In the next episode, I'm interviewing a Dynamics 365 human resources consultant who built an amazing application for her client in Peru. So make sure you subscribe and don't miss that episode. And finally, Amy Holden and I have started a new YouTube channel to help business applications professionals boost their LinkedIn profile. Each week, we review and provide feedback on two LinkedIn profiles. Search for Pimp My LinkedIn Profile on YouTube and remember to subscribe to that channel too. Keep sprinting. Bye for now.